message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Good illustration right there. You guys have the power on. Um, yeah, exactly. I thought that when they gave it to me that it was on. I just had to go off mute there. So, um, uh, But my name is Bobby Lankus and my wife Carly, and we're finishing up a, a ministry of 23 years at Shadowbrook. And so this is brand new to us, and I shared that with you last week. And you know, I said that this is an exciting time in the life of your church, and it's one of those that uh, I know it's also a nervous time because it's one of those, you know, change. We just don't do change real well. Unless it's changed like the kids going back to school and you get, uh, you know, a little bit more freedom during the day. And uh, so this is really different and uh, we understand that. And I want you to know this morning that uh, uh, these three weeks that we've been with you and some of the Wednesday nights and just uh, meeting some of the individuals in your family, it has been a great blessing to us. And whether this would be the last time that I would ever preach here or the first of many times that I would preach here, it truly has just been enjoyable. You are a blessed people here. You are a people that have something that I just know because of your seriousness of the gospel that uh, there is a community out there that just needs that. And, and you're warm and you're inviting, and we have felt so blessed. But we also understand that today is, is probably one of the most important days in the life of your church. As you came together 10 years ago, as you've had a wonderful pastorate under Daryl, it's one of those you haven't had to make a decision like this. And, you know, there's always a confusion of, you know, how do we make decisions like this, you know, and kind of come upon that change. And, uh, folks, it's not easy. You know, at least in marriage, you get to date for a pretty long time. That doesn't happen, you know, so much in a church. You know, when a church begins to interview and look for a new pastor, you know, sometimes you get to hear the guy one, two, three, four times and have a couple other meetings. And it really is a faith journey. It's one of those things you can't get around, the fact that it really does come down to just, okay, God, we're sensing your will. And that's what Carly and I have been praying for you, fervently praying that you would just sense God's direction, whether it's us, somebody else, or whatever it might be, because this is a blessed people, and God wants to use you mightily in this community. And so uh, we've been dating, and yet here you're going to take a vote today to get married. And it's just weird, and it's just weird. And, and so, you know, you don't do that on a lot of other things, but it happens in church like that. And so just we recognize it for what it is, and we just trust the Lord, and we say, okay, God, you just illuminate my, our minds and our hearts so that we can know that this is your will or this is another direction, whatever it might be. And uh, I just want to let you know that over the last three weeks, this being the third week, I, I have tried to be somewhat strategic in my preaching instead of just kind of opening up the Bible and finding a place. I want you to know before you would vote today, kind of my heart. And so the first week we looked at surrender. And and really that kind of captures my mind of the Christ-filled life. It is a sweet surrender. It is something that we gladly surrender to. And and yet it's still a battle in our lives because we have this will that wants to hang on. And uh, last week we looked at the beauty of the church. And that truly reflects my heart of the bride of Christ, of who we are both individually uh, today as cornerstone, but also uh, collectively, universally, the church of all believers. And today I'm going to kind of bring a a third part of my theology so that you would know fully, okay, that this is what Bobby believes uh, about the gospel. And today we're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about uh, the work of Christ. And today you'll really, I hope, hear my heart of what I believe so that you will not, uh, as you would go forward with your vote and other things, say, well, you know, I thought he believed this. And he really actually believes that. 
I hope that you will see today that my whole heart is, you know, centered on uh, the centrality of Christ. That's all we've got, folks. He's not given us anything else to preach except for Christ and the hope that we have through Christ. And we can touch on a lot of different subjects, but if it's not founded on Christ, if it's not centered on Christ, then it is just kind of man's wishes, and it's just kind of hopes that we would have. And so today we're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about uh, the power of the gospel and uh, how that works in our hearts and our lives. So let's pray together, and then uh, we prayed a lot today. That's good. That's good. Uh, be a praying church, and let's pray, and then after that we'll get into 1 John 1, 9. And uh, usually I love expository preaching, and, and we will expose this word, and we will kind of drive out of that verse. But I am going to be using a lot of different verses today to show you that this theme of the centrality of the gospel and the work of Christ is throughout the Old and the New Testament. You, you cannot get around it. It's just there. God has not given us any option B or C. It is Christ and Christ alone. And we'll see that. And we're going to go to him in prayer right now. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you, Father. Uh, I thank you for this journey that, uh, that you've put my wife and I on, Father, the journey that you have had us on for the 50-plus years that you've had us on this earth and you've given us breath. You've given us life through Christ. So, Father, we thank you that, for the opportunity to always share your word. And, Father, I pray today that as we come together, there's a lot of things that could be on the people's mind, in my mind today, Father. There could be a lot of distractions. And yet, Father, you have a word for us. You have the beauty of the forgiveness that comes through the finished work of Christ. And let that be the center of our attention. But, Father, not just for some theological kind of application. Father, certainly you, you bury us in theological truth. And yet, Father, it always has application. Father, there's always a way that you want us to live that out in our lives. So, Father, help us to do that. Be buried in scriptural truth, but also let it flow out of the way that we would live each and every day. We love you, and, Father, we just want to praise you this morning for the beauty of your word and the surety of the truth that we look at today. And we pray it all in the one that made it possible, Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. How many of you were ever sent back when you were a kid back into your room to clean the room again because your mom had told you to go clean your room and, and you cleaned it? In your mind, you know, you'd clean the room. And, and yet when you came out and she kind of did inspection, as moms do, uh, she sent you back in there. Anybody ever do that before? And you found out that your version of clean and her version of clean were two different things. And, and whether you were 7 years old, 17 years old, uh, for some of you, 27 years old, you know, that you found out that uh, the authority, you know, that your version, even though you, you believed, hey, I, I put the shoes over here, uh, I got the, the dirty clothes over here and put them in the hamper, and I kind of tucked the bed sheets in, that your version of clean was different from your mom's or the one of authority. And ultimately, what did it come down to? Your version or the authority? The authority, yeah. And a lot of times life is like that, that we see that a lot of things in life are relative, that what our version of something is, there's another version out there by somebody else, and ultimately whose version is going to win out, our version or the voice of authority. And we see this throughout all kinds of different things. I mean, they're the very practical. We've, uh, you know, when you go out and, and somebody says, this is really good food, and somebody says, yeah, I didn't think it was that great. And everything's relative. Or how many of you have ever, you know, thought the cleanliness of your clothes, you've done the smell test? You know? You know, one guy's, you know, wash is somebody else's dirty clothes. And you bring it up and smell it a little bit, and you go, that's not dirty, and you throw it on. And there's a lot of people, it's just we find out that everything in life is pretty much relative. And we deal with these relative terms all the time. And uh, even our own relative terms. We kind of change our mind about things as life goes on. 
when I was a child, I felt like a child, like the Bible says. And old to me when I was uh, young, you know, when at 50 years old, that was old. That was old. Now that I'm on the other side of 50, that's young and it's full of life. Well, see, even in your own mind, it didn't take another authority. And even in my own mind, I changed what was relative. I changed my mind about what is old. And so even within ourselves, we just don't need these other people out there kind of changing things and having different opinions. We change it ourselves. For example, when I was young, man, if you would have said, okay, you're going to have $10,000. Man, as a 14-year-old, as an 18-year-old, I would have thought, I am rich. I never have to work a day in my life. Well, nowadays, you know, you say, okay, $10,000, you're going, okay, man, I'm worried about how am I going to pay my bills or something like that. Things change, not just because there's different opinions out there, but even our own opinion in a relative word, world, all of a sudden we find that, you know, we change our minds a lot. Uh, you know, how rich is rich and how sick is sick? I mean, there's sick that I don't want to go to school or go to work today, and there's sick that the doctor prescribes, hey, here's the, the treatment that we're going to do for your cancer. Everything is relative in life. And because everything is relative in life, we, we kind of live our spiritual life that way. And perhaps one of the ways that we get into this matter of relevance so much and, and kind of our own kind of interpretation is in good and bad. If I've heard it a, a thousand times, I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. Well, you know, I think I'm just as good as those people at the church. And I guarantee you that a lot of times those people that I were talking to were actually probably better than a lot of the people at church. You know, if you just looked at morality, if you looked at goodness for goodness sake. And so even this good and bad, but, but I began to, to talk with them because I want to show them, you know, that we don't have a goodness of our own. And so eventually we try to work that conversation to a point of, well, how good do you have to be? To be made right with a holy God, how good do you have to be? See, we may think of ourselves as good people and we may think of others that they're kind of evil or maybe bad people, but where in that parameter of good and bad do we find that we have been made right with Christ when we're using our own descriptions and our own definitions? And so this morning we want to go into God's Word and we want to see that where we deal a lot of times in very relative terms, kind of this flowing back and forth in the emotions and the reasoning of our own mind. We want to go to God's word and see that he has given us foundational truth so we don't have to kind of go with the winds of the culture, the, uh, the, the winds of other people that think that they're the authority, or even in our own mind as we would go back and forth in our own mind. What is good and, and what is bad? And so open your Bibles to 1 John 1, 9. It's uh, probably a very familiar verse to, to many of you. It's one that uh, uh, we refer to a lot when it comes to forgiveness, that God has given us a, a forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, if you and I were defining things in our own mind, uh, there's a couple things that we use in our mind. We use our emotions. Have you ever made decisions based on emotions? Yeah, every day. What about your own logic and your own reasoning? What makes sense to you? We do it every day. Or even sometimes our own version of that truth that we've heard from others. 
And so when we come to upon our life with God and and being made right with God, and it comes to this whole matter of forgiveness and and how are we walking with God, how do we have a life with God, folks, there's all kinds of different emotions, thoughts, you know, walls of reasoning that we can use. And, And this morning, I want you to know that God does not want to leave you at the whim of your own opinion. Because your opinion changes. What was rich 20 years ago, what was old 30 years ago, isn't old anymore. What was sick the other day when you had to go to work is different from sick when you have to go on vacation. I mean, it changes. I'm well enough to go on vacation. I just wasn't well enough to go to work. And to leave us at the whim of that, kind of going back and forth, our own emotions, our own logic, God says, you know, I want to give you foundational truth. And this morning, we're going to look into God's word, and we're going to say, how do we really claim this? And all the power of that in the finished work of Christ. As you read through the Bible, when it comes to our relationship with God, God is always using, rather than relative terms, definitive terms. The word definitive, to define. You know, to make something definite so, so that we can really kind of have this anchor for our souls and for our minds. And so we begin to look at verses like this, and it's just not in one place. God, throughout his word, gives clarity to what he has done through the work of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few. Isaiah 118. Now, now you, you, in your mind, look for this declarative word, how he's declaring truth here. Isaiah 118, come now, let us... Do what? Reason. When you think of reason, what do you think of? Your mind. It's not just kind of the emotions. It's not just kind of, uh, okay, I have a warm, fuzzy feeling. No, when we reason something, most of the time we're reasoning where? In our mind. And so God says, okay, look, I want to give you a reason. I want you to give something that's declarative in your mind. And he says, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be what? As white as snow. He doesn't say, okay, we kind of, you know, they were stained before, and now we kind of, we dulled that stain a little bit. We put some wash on there. We kind of took a little bit of the stain away. But, you know, if you look in the right light, you can still find a little bit of that stain if you look at it very closely. No, he says, though your sins were as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Uh, We go on in the Old Testament. The Bible says in Psalms 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has has he removed our our transgressions from us, our our sins from us. As far as the east is from the west. Can can you imagine, you know, as he starts to give us this declarative word, the east and the west. Uh, We go to the New Testament and we see... uh, uh, verses like Romans 8.1, where Paul is making this great theological truth. And he says in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation, no condemning for those who are in Christ Jesus. Folks, those are just a few of the verses that begin to really give us the foundation of who we are in Jesus Christ and how these truths give us uh, ammunition in our battle against our, our own mind and our own logic and our own feelings at times. See, the problem is that we often allow God's truth to be drowned out by those things. I mean, have you ever known truth in, in your heart and yet your emotions ruled the day? I mean, you grew up in church maybe. You're familiar with a, a biblical truth. And, and yet for that moment, even though you know, okay, man, pride is going to end to my end. 
You know, I'm going to fall if I let pride. And yet for that moment, the emotion of the moment and pride got a hold of you. And you allowed pride to rule your life rather than the truth of God's word. That pride has no good end. Well, we do it all the time. We allow uh, our uh, feelings, our emotions, and our own sense of reasoning. Let me give you an example, even when it comes to this subject of forgiveness. How many of you have ever prayed about something, confessed something? You know, the Bible says in the first time to confess. And so we confess. We admit the truth about our sin. And we confess that. And yet, a day later, an hour later, maybe a month later, we still feel guilty about that. Have you, has that ever happened to you? You know, that there's still guilt. And yet, that's not what the Word of God says. So what was causing this guilt to come back into your life, to, to feel this guilt, even though God makes this declarative statement that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Well, so one of a couple things. It's your emotions. It's your own line of logic and reasoning, your own way of kind of figuring out good and bad. Somehow, you're not able to get past this moment. You're still dealing with this guilt. Go, man, you know, I know this was bad, and I know that Jesus died for my sins, and, but, man, I still feel this weight of this sin upon my life. Folks, God has given you and I declarative truth, not relative truth. Declarative truth. Because the winds of your mind and your heart are always blowing left and right. Mine are your. But we figure differently as we age. We figure differently as if we don't have any barometer to be able to just say, okay, this is the anchor. This is the truth. We go back and forth all the time. And so let's look again at 1 John 1, 9. Look what it says there. If we confess our sins, confession is simply telling the truth. Somebody comes in and puts you on the stand and says, okay, I want you to give your, you know, your confession of what's happened here. You're simply going to say what you saw. Maybe it was an auto accident, and you're simply saying, hey, the red card pulled out, the white card came this way. You're just telling the truth about it. If we tell the truth about our sins, he, that is Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The two words that are key in that verse that I want us to, to really kind of hang on this morning that can help us is there when he says God is faithful. Now, if I just asked you this morning, if we did a poll of, of the church this morning and said, do you believe that God is faithful? I would imagine that we would get a 100% guaranteed, yeah, God is faithful. I mean, when you just think about theory, of course God is faithful. And yet... Why are we reminded here by John that God is faithful when it comes to forgiveness? Because we have those doubts. We have that guilt. We have those things that we're going, okay, I know God can do this, but but has he really done this? And so number one, it says that God is faithful. God will do what he said that he will do. Why? Because Christ did what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to come to seek and to save us. And he did that. So everybody who puts their trust in the finished work of Christ can claim this victory, not in a relative way, not kind of like, hey, I just kind of emotionally feel that way, but can do that by biblical truth. But there's a second part. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That's a big one. So a lot of times when you start to feel that guilt again, when I begin to say, you know, did God really forgive me? Because that was a big sin. 
It wasn't just kind of like a little everyday sin. This wasn't just kind of a, a lie to the boss or a little description here to my wife or my husband so I didn't get in trouble. Now, this was a really big sin. Does God, is he really just in just forgiving that sin? Was worse as it is. So, so how is he just in doing that? Because he sent his own son to die for us. It's an amazing thing. You look back in the Old Testament, and and there's this verse in the Old Testament in Isaiah that blows me away every time that I look at it. Because he said, it pleased God to send Christ, to to, uh, put all of our sins upon Christ. And, you know, you read that and you think, it pleased God to crush him, is how Isaiah says it. Yeah, because it brought about our redemption. It brought a way for you and I to be made right with the Holy God. There was no other way doesn't mean that there was this guilty pleasure over there that God, he just wanted to see Jesus Christ suffer. No, the pleasure in that crushing of his son was so that you and I could have life with him and that justice would be done. You know, we always wonder, you know, when when we get to heaven, you know, why don't we just have a God who looks at our sins and go, okay, I'm just going to look the other way. Why doesn't God just deal with sin that way? Because he is holy. He doesn't just look the other way. And a lot of us want a God who's holy, but a God who's kind of looks the other way. No, he's going to always deal with everything justly. And the only difference between me and you and, and anybody else in this world is not what we have done, but if we placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. See, it, there's not going to be this measurement. It's so easy when we get back to relative terms to say, well, you know, uh, at least I'm not as bad as pick a name. I mean, not a neighbor or anybody. You know, you know well, isn't it amazing that we always go to like Adolf Hitler? Well, at least I'm not a, like a Hitler. Well, I'm not a Billy Graham either or a Mother Teresa. So we, we kind of hit these spectrums of what is relative. We're going, okay, I know that I'm not as good as this person, but you know, I am not as bad as that person. Well, folks, that's relative. If that's the measurement that you're going to use, how good do you have to be in order to be made right with a holy God? The Bible said none of us, none of us are right in our own standing. And and so we come back and we go, okay, God, I I believe that you are faithful, but I also believe that in your forgiving of my sins, because of the work of Christ, you are just. God is not going to sit there and grimace one day when he has to allow me or you into heaven because, you know, man, I know all the things you did. Bob, man, I saw your life down there. Man, okay, come on in. No, he doesn't look at you. He looks at the finished work of Christ, if that's where you've placed your trust. Does that make sense? Because one of the things that we really, you know, that that adversaries would say, well, you know, you Christians, you just kind of think you get get off scot-free. No, it cost. It cost. And God is not going to be unjust the day that he allows me into his heaven. He's not going to be unjust the day if you place your trust and faith in the work of Christ. It's not going to be unjust when he says, come on in. I welcome you to, into the glory of my presence. No, it would be just because Christ has paid that price. Can you imagine? I, I was talking to some of the folks the, the other night and, and just the joy of, of paying off your mortgage. I know that we have young couples, we have older couples, and some of you, you know, the joy of going, man, that's the last check I ever have to write. Well, some of you are pretty far from that. I would imagine, you know, some of you just starting your lives, you're young couples, you, you know, you got bills and go, okay, I, I can't for, see that in the foreseeable 10, 15, 20 years. 
But can you imagine, let's say that you had a 15-year, 20-year note, okay? And so you're paying this off, and you've come to the end of that 20 years of pain. And then all of a sudden, you know, Brian, you look over there and you say, Dad, you know, we've been doing this for 20 years. Let's just keep on sending that. Is that what you're going to do? No, it, it has been paid. It is it's paid in full. And so you're going you're gonna to glory that something is finished, that is complete. You're not going to say, well, you know, I, I, I bet, you know, they still want our money. We'll just keep on paying it. Now, it's already been paid and complete. Folks, we get that when it comes to finances. We get that when we get the, those kind of situations in our life. But do we always get it when it comes to our walk in the forgiveness that Christ has extended to us? Do, do we always truly see God as the, in these declarative statements? Folks, that's the very heart of the gospel. God declaring his truth about our sin and our need for redemption. God declaring his truth of what he has done and completed through the work of Jesus Christ and what has been accomplished by his death, burial, and resurrection. Because I want you, I want you to see this clearly in your mind today. If we don't have declarative truth in Christ, in a finished work, you're left to be hostages to three things. Your emotions, your own reasoning or logic, and your own works. Am I good enough? Well, I went out there yesterday. I mean, Carly and I had the great blessing yesterday to go out there and be with the I Serve Ministries. What a wonderful thing. And so if we're just looking at that, we're going, okay, I feel I'm pretty close to God now because, you know, I went out there and we worked yesterday. See, we're at the whim of that. Well, what about the days you didn't work for God? What about those days that you don't feel real warm and fuzzy about your relationship with God? What about that line of logic that says, you know, God forgives a lot of things, but man, this was so bad, I just don't know that he can forgive it. You're not at the whim. If, if you are here today, you don't have to be at the whim of your emotions and your logic and your own ability to work to please God. It's already been done in Jesus Christ. And that's why God asked us to rest in the finished work of Christ. Jesus says, you, you come and you rest here. Hey, you heavy burden people, you got all these burdens here, come and rest in me. I, I, I'm going to finish the work. And now it is complete. See, that's where Satan would love to get us. In, in that place where we're just kind of always guessing our, our standing with God. And, and, and through the years... I'm convinced that it really doesn't matter to Satan. Listen to this. I really don't think that it matters to Satan if we begin to focus on our own perceived goodness or our own perceived badness. I don't think it matters to him. If we put, you know, man, I'm right with God because I've done these good things. Or I could never be right with God because look at these bad things that I've done. I don't think it matters to Satan for us to look on how good we are or how bad we are as long as our eyes are on us and all for the finished work of Jesus Christ. I grew up in a church, guys, that they loved Jesus. And yet when I was growing up, there was so much focus on the morality of the Christian life. And, and certainly, please hear, 
I believe that Christians should be light in the darkness and salt in this world. We should live the most moral of lives. And yet when I was growing up, so much emphasis was put on morality and, and doing the right things. Where was the focus? It was on me. And so I grew up, and I trusted Christ when I was 12 years old. And, and yet I trusted Christ, and yet my day-to-day walk with Christ, my day-to-day standing with a holy God, was not founded in the finished work of Christ. It was, okay, what did I do for him? Some of you uh, older folks, or if you're big football fans, Al Davis, Oakland Raiders. You know, he's a famous owner of, of the Oakland Raiders. And his, whole, his big phrase was, what have you done for me lately? What if the Christian life was lived in that philosophy? Relative instead of definitive. What have you done for me lately? Man, high days, low days. But we're going to look at a couple of verses. I'm going to put a couple of verses up here. And I want you to ask the, the question, answer the question in your mind. Are, are these relative statements or are these declarative, definitive statements that we see in, in the text? Okay? Let's put the first one up, 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, this is the verse right before 1 John 1, 9. And so right prior, John is telling us, right before he tells us about this forgiveness that we can have through Christ, he tells us the truth about ourselves. So is that a relative statement, or do you think that's a declarative or definitive statement? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's declarative. It's, it's, it's very clear. Okay, you are, you know, we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The, the truth is not even in us. Let's go on to the next one. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Relative or declarative? Declarative. All. He doesn't say most people, a wide majority of people, or a lot of people living in this nation but not in this nation. No, he said all of us, like sheep, we've gone astray. Every one of us have sinned. We were born with a sin nature. We needed redemption to be made right with a holy God. And so God just clears it up so that we don't sit there and go, well, you know, man, I'm not like Mother Teresa, but I'm not like Adolf Hitler. And that we kind of wiggle around in the middle here wondering, are we on the top side or on the bottom side? Next verse, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Relative or declarative? Declarative. You know, he's not trying to hurt our feelings. A lot of people will say, oh man, God's just kind of an angry God. Look what he's talking to us. No, he's telling us the truth. And the greatest thing, the greatest measure of love to someone to you is that they tell you the truth. And why do we tell the truth to our kids? You know, little Johnny is 12 years old, cannot sing a lick, and yet he wants to go out there and says, I want to be a rock star. And, you know, he's going to pursue this. And, you know, you know Johnny, we love you. We're mom and dad, and we love you. And, and maybe you can play in the band or something. But, you know, I don't know that God has really given you the voice to be a lead singer there. You know, if he hears that from his friends, it's one thing. But, you know, you love him enough to tell the truth. You know, his friends tell him, hey, that sounds pretty good, Johnny. Yeah, I think you should pursue that. God just tells us the truth. Why? Because he's mad at us? Because he's angry? He wants to put this indictment on us? No, because he loves us. And he knows that there is a, a way that we can have redemption through Jesus Christ. And so he doesn't sit there and say, well, okay, I want you to kind of rest in your own goodness. No, he says, we have all sinned and we fall short of his glory. We're not like a holy God. 
Look at this, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Relative or declarative? Declarative. He said, look, you're saved by what Christ has done, not because of your works. I mean, he actually says that twice in the same verse there because he wants us to know this is truth, and you can bank on it. Uh, we'll end on these two. First part is in Titus uh, chapter 3, verse 3, Paul's words to, to Titus, and he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. How many of y'all put that on your resume last time that you applied for a job? You know, hey, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, basically, I'm just an object of malice here. I'm basically you know, filled with hate and envy and all these things. No, he tells us the truth there. He tells us the truth. This is our standing in ourselves. But look at verse 4 and 5. He goes from one declarative, truthful statement to the next one, verse 4 and 5. What's the first word? But. Don't you love that we saw that last week? But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So God doesn't want you to sit there and kind of be with the winds of going back and forth. Folks, the Bible leaves no room at all for us to think that God has saved us in our goodness, saved us by our works, or anything like that. He's always pointing back to the work of Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the Bible can you find a single passage that would allude to us being made right with the Holy God through our own efforts. Not one. But you will find verse after verse declarative truth of what we just saw. You'll find it over and over again. You can hardly turn a page of the Bible, even the Old Testament, and not find this declarative truth of either pointing to Christ or pointing back to the finished work of Christ in the New Testament. That's why songwriters for years, Rick, you know, the, the greatest hymns, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And they said, you know, maybe a couple of good works and trying real hard. It's not the refrain of that, of that old hymn. And so many of the hymn writers in past and even present, the ones that are really scriptural and just getting back to the gospel message, leave no ifs, ands, or buts about where do we find our right relationship with God. How do we be made right with a holy God? Folks, the cross, if you don't hear anything else, please hear this. The, the cross isn't just kind of a pretty big deal. It's the whole deal. It's the only thing I have to preach. There's nothing left to preach besides the cross. Paul said, you, you take away the resurrection of Christ, you take away the, the whole work of Christ, I have nothing left to preach. I, I'm just, I, I'd be just running my mouth. And 2,000 years have come and gone, and there's nothing else to preach except for the finished work of Jesus Christ. Why does God do this? Because he doesn't want to leave us in, in this flow of emotions, of our own reasoning and logic, and our own works. Many of you I've seen on Facebook, you went to the beach in the last couple of weeks. And one of the amazing things about the beach, have you, have you ever gone to the beach, you put all your stuff up, and then you kind of went away maybe for lunch or something, you came back, and all your stuff is now wet? Because there's tides that are coming in and out. There's low tide, there's high tide. It's always moving. It's never static. 
And, and so you kind of had this place and thinking, this would be great, and you kind of leave there for a couple hours. Well, things are going to change, folks. You build a sandcastle one day. You come out the next day, next morning, what's there? Nothing but flat sand. Why? Because the tide came in. Tides in and out, ever flowing. And a lot of us deal with our salvation when we are leaving it to our emotions, to our own reasoning and logic, and to our own works. Folks, that's high tide and low tide. You go out there and you'd be really good one day and you think, okay, high tide. God's got to be kind of pleased. I think God's giving me a thumbs up today. But what about those days that we just don't really bring glory to the kingdom because of our actions, pride, or other things that we allow into our lives? God loved you so much that he doesn't want you to be at the whims of high tides and low tides in your life. He doesn't say, I want you to make this thing relative. He says, I want you to have declarative truth in your life. And so that's why he gives us a verse like this. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. He doesn't do it because he's just a nice guy, you know, feeling good. He's just. I mean, if God was an emotional God in the way that we would mean an emotional God, he is a loving God, and so there is emotion in God. He's a jealous God. We see all these characteristics. But if he was nothing but emotional, and we just had the, you know, the kind of the human emotions, well, what about that day that you come to God and he's kind of cranky? A lot of people think when they look at the Old Testament, they go, you know, that was the cranky God. I'm so glad that we finally got to the New Testament and and the loving God. Nothing could be further from the truth. Same God, yesterday, today, and forever. Old Testament just shows us the dilemma of man, and it's pointing to Christ, everything in the New Testament, pointing back to Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about the cross. The whole Bible is God's story so that you and I could have Not relative truth, wind blowing, high tide and low tide, but that we could have the solid rock, that we could have an anchor for our soul. I'm so glad he did that. I'm so glad that God, in in his favor and his love, that he just keeps on pointing us back to to Christ. Let me end with a a couple uh, verses and then two applications this morning. Because we always want to take God's word, and as much as we would deal with good theology and as we would kind of have rock-solid, bedrock theology, uh, we want to know how does this apply to our lives. So let me show uh, a couple of things about how this life is only in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. What's the first two words? In him. Who do you think the him is? Christ. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Christ there, Jesus there. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Peter said this way in 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19, Knowing that you were ransomed from this futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, not things that are kind of temporary, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the Lamb, without blemish or spot. Peter went on in chapter 2 and he said this in verse 24. He himself, that is Christ himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Everybody point it back to Christ. Two applications this morning. First one, by keeping your eyes on Christ and the sufficiency of his word, you will not be at the whim of what three things? Our emotions, our own logic and reasoning, and our own works. 
And I promise you, folks, in practicality, if you live like, my, like I do, those three things come up all the time. I mean, the Christian life seems to be a roller coaster ride rather than just this kind of planed out ride. Why? Because we allow emotions, our own reasoning and logic. We allow you know, our own sense of work and our worth, our goodness, our badness to kind of determine where we are with God. And so God loved us so much that the first practical thing is that he has given us uh, uh, this anchor for our soul in the finished work of Christ. But let me make it really practical now. Uh, A lot of you here today are are married, have been married, maybe hope one day to be married. And and in that marriage relationship, one of the most intimate relationships that we have, um, this relationship that we have with Christ and through Christ is really going to be the basis of every other relationship that you have. God has repeatedly told us in, in the New Testament that we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. Okay, you, you read that in Ephesians, Colossians. We see that in different places. Jesus said, you know, to forgive in, in such manner. Okay, if we don't have a good grounding of our forgiveness in Christ, do you think that you're really going to have a good grounding for forgiveness in your marriage? See, that's the practical application of, of this through our Christian life. It can sound really theological, but I promise you that if we're kind of wavering left and right with emotions, our own line of reasoning and logic, and our own works, and that's the measure of forgiveness or closeness or intimacy that we feel with God, we will transfer that right over to every other intimate relationship in our life. I will not be able to love my wife as Christ loved the church if I do not understand how Christ loved the church. Does that make sense? And and so if I'm going on on, on this thing, okay, God, man, I was bad today. I know you're so disappointed. You know, it hurts God's heart. Please don't hear that. It doesn't hurt God's heart when, when we sin. But, but Paul gives us this great exchange that happened uh, this, when we came into salvation. That God not only took our sins away, you know what he did? He gave us the righteousness of Christ. Now, it doesn't, you know, that's hard for me to kind of swallow sometimes because I don't feel righteous. That's how God sees me. You know, you, you've seen maybe pastors say it this way, when God looks at you, he looks through the cross. And, and sometimes we can kind of use that as a little kid's, you know, kids worship kind of thing. Well, when God looks at you, he looks at you through the cross. That's exactly what the Bible says. But I'm doomed if he doesn't look at me through the finished work of Christ. And so when I enter into other relationships, whether it's a relationship with the church, whether it's the intimacy of the relationship with my wife, Folks, if I don't have the grounding, if I don't have this anchor for my soul, then, then you know how I'm going to love my wife? By my emotions, by my logic, and by her works. Hey, man, that was a great dinner. Way to go. You're the best wife in the world. But what if it happens if all of a sudden I come home and it's spam souffle? <laughs> and it's burnt. Man, for, she's a great cook. I mean, she's a great cook. But, you know, if, if we're going to go on emotions, if we're going to go on just our own line of logic, you know, our own line of logic in that relationship. Well, I was talking to some of the guys at work, and their wives do fill in the blank. And then all of a sudden this line of logic comes back. Okay, are we going to love our wives according to what others have said is good and bad? Do you see how it works, guys? See, God has given us this theological truth, not only for the security of our salvation, for us to have a good understanding so that we don't have to do the high tides and the low tides of life, but for every other relationship. If I truly am to forgive as I have been forgiven, 
I truly am to love as I have been loved, then I have to know that that's unconditional. I need to know the finality of that. I need to know the, the, the rock-solid declarative nature of that rather than just, okay, and I hope God's having a good day today because I really messed it up. Christ is the anchor for our soul. He's the anchor for every relationship that we live out. And the more and more that we would be able to embrace the beauty of what God has done in the finished work of Christ, then we can translate that into every other relationship that we have. And that would be my prayer. That's my heart. That's what I want to preach every week is the beauty of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ to a world that just, they're floundering, folks. Not because they're just not as smart as we are. No, that is us. We just happen to, somebody loved us enough to share with us the clarity of God's word. And then we put our trust and our faith in it. That's the only difference between anybody that would be in here in Christ and anybody out there that's not in Christ. It's his grace, his mercy, his finished work. Not that we kind of got the inside track and we got it all figured out. No, today you can rest in that. So, so here we're going to go to have a time of prayer. The, uh, Ricky and, and the band is going to come back up. They're going to sing for us and have this time of invitation. Have you prayed about something in the past? You're, you're a Christian. You've put your faith and trust in Christ. But you've been praying about something, and, and yet Satan keeps on coming back, and he kind of keeps on showing you, you know, man, guilt, shame. See, again, remember, he does not care if you focus on your goodness or your badness because both, either one of those take your eyes off of Jesus Christ. So... You want to feel sufficient in your goodness because you went out and did some great ministry? He'll let you do that all day long. You want to feel so bad because you did this sin and you've prayed about it and yet you still kind of feel you know, guilty about it? That's where we come back, not to relative truth, but declarative truth. This is what God has said. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. The work's already done. He can do it justly. He doesn't have to kind of look the other way. He can do it justly. And he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray together today. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, we thank you that you are a God who declares truth. For Father, we are, we are emotional people. Father, we are uh, logical people. And we have this sense of industry in our mind that if we just work hard enough, we can make things right. And, Father, all of those have a place. You've made us that way. And yet, when it comes to our rightness with you, Father, we sure can be fooled by our emotions and feelings, our line of logic, or even being fooled to think that we've worked hard enough to be made right with you, a holy God. Father, thank you that you love us enough today that that you keep on page after page, verse after verse, tell us of the glory of Christ and the sacrifice that he gave his life so that we might know you. Father, that he took on and bore our sins so that we could be free from sin. So, Father, help us today. Uh, Father, I I pray for that one that really has been struggling with guilt. Uh, Father, that they would see the sufficiency of Christ and put their trust in him and him alone. Father, I pray that we transfer this to other relationships, to our marriages, that, Father, that as we understand your forgiveness, and, Father, we begin to see how rock solid that is in the finished work of Christ, 
that it truly does bring compassion and grace and mercy to our marriages, to other relationships that we have, even the relationships that we have in this church with one another. Father, bury us today. Bury us in your truth. Surround us with the hope of the gospel. Father, that's what this community needs. Not just more things to do or not to do. Father, they need Christ. We love you and we thank you. And we open up the altar now, Father, so that we have a chance to respond to your goodness and grace. And we pray this in the one that made it possible. Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.